Hello, Vicky Unwin has had a long career in both newspaper and book publishing and is now a celebrated author herself with her recent smash hit, I think we can call it, uh, The Boy from Boscovitz. Um, I got to know Vicky uh, probably 12 years ago uh, because I wrote a song uh, about her daughter who sadly died of an overdose in 2011 uh, from a ketamine overdose. And uh, Vicky and I did a lot of campaigning about the dangers of uh, legal highs, drugs in general uh, for youngsters. And um, our friendship really blossomed out of celebrating the life of her daughter, Louise, which is uh, why this episode is really special to me because um, Vicky reads something that Louise wrote uh, specifically about connection and social media uh, back in, she wrote back in 2005 and uh, it was something that Vicky found recently and I'd certainly never heard it before uh, it's really really important to hear that voice uh, from the other side um, so I really hope you enjoy this episode of Super Connected Conversations with Vicky Unwin aches and pains and things which are very annoying like bad shoulder and uh, stuff but you know nothing really serious nothing serious no just annoying you know not sleeping very well and you know but okay and how okay. Are you, you're looking well I'm feeling well I mean I, I, I must say I am starting to get very tired of lockdown uh, no I, well I suppose it's one way of saying it, isn't it lockdown but just actually the entire life that I'm leading having to be through the screen of everything you know all the apps and the writing and the it's just yeah I've, I'm, I'm longing for uh, for some stuff that doesn't involve tech really I know. I'm, I'm teched out actually but we're all getting rather good at it but normally I don't yeah. bother to make myself look nice because no one really sees but then I suddenly thought oh god you always look nice come on um, and I, I, um, I mean that that sort of uh, a lot of what I want to talk about the tech stuff, <clears throat> excuse me, um, but also in context of what you know about um, addiction, because you know because we, we've both um, attended various uh, events that are associated with addiction. Uh, in the time we've known each other and of course now there's there's a whole different type of addiction which is uh, to to do with how much time we spend like this all on that you know um what do you think about all that i mean do you have do you have any of that uh those worries yourself about being addicted well ross says i'm addicted to the um mobile phone but i think well you'll know this as a writer and you're a musician and a writer it's actually really important, especially in lockdown, to um, to maintain contact with the people who are following you and are meant to be reading your books or whatever. And if you don't have a social media profile, then you know your your creativity will will die. And I, it's a very sad state of affairs. But I think you know that's why I'm 
constantly mm. doing two or three Instagrams a day, trying to do a tweet a day, doing Facebook postings, because that's the only way that you get noticed. Yes, and I noticed that you've done that a lot uh, since the sec- your second book. Yeah. Came out. You, 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 and, and you, I don't re- remember you doing that with your first book. Well, I kind of, even though I'd been a publisher, Tim, I was very naive because when we had authors, we were very good and we promoted them, you know, and we did stuff for them. And I thought rather naively, having been in Singapore for two or three years, that, you know, the game hadn't changed. And I just thought my publishers might do something. But of course, they did absolutely nothing first time round. So this time round, I was a bit more hopeful. Um, they did do a little bit, but not very much so the only stuff I got I mean I've done quite a few podcasts and got quite a few reviews it's all been stuff that I've done so I decided therefore to take it into my own hands and and you know get quotes from people who've read the book and I have a very good technical advisor in the house who you know put it all up and we and also I contact other writers who I knew in the sort of genre and you know you only get it I got one very well-known writer which was quite good and um Peter Godwin and uh you know you just got to do it yourself haven't you well you yeah. know you'll do everything yourself <laughs> absolutely yeah and I mean it's great to hear that for you uh as a writer it's it's really it's it, it's work working for you isn't it social media uh well I think I hope so I haven't quite seen the sales figures I mean I think people just don't I don't know you know in lockdown in particular people buy books on Kindle so it doesn't count Mm. But we we sold quite a, you know I was told um about three or four weeks ago we'd sold five hundred copies of a hardback at you know whatever twenty five quid you know mm-hmm. to begin with which was quite good it's never going to be a bestseller but hey listen everyone who's read the book really likes it and you know it's got all the Amazon five stars so I'm very pleased about it yeah congratulations um I think it it, it it's it's great to hear that you you haven't had any kind of overtly negative experiences with um social media or or you know um addiction in terms of it being uh problematic in terms of the way you manage your life which is i think it, it, you know is not been the case for quite a lot of young people yeah. um, the rise of mental health problems isn't entirely associated with um the you know screen time but i think there's quite a lot of evidence that some of it is and uh, and it's not helping um you you spent a lot of time um with younger people uh your whole life it's and I, and I think you always will and there are some people like that it doesn't they just have a kind of um a vibe that's youthful and you do uh have, have, what's your feeling with your young younger friends uh, through this last year with the lockdowns well, it's really hard because you can't see them, but I think a lot of them have actually <clears throat> take have not been on social media. I think a lot of people are consciously, because I'm in a different generation, I'm not quite the same, but I mean, a lot of people have taken themselves off Facebook for, you know, political reasons and, mm. you know, and Twitter and all the rest of it. Um, in, in our generation, it's the kind of way that old fogies communicate. Um, because that's just where you you know the, the channel your friends. Although increasingly on WhatsApp, but you have to set up a special WhatsApp group with people. That's all rather tedious and time consuming. It's much better to have a one hit wonder. I love Instagram actually. I think that's really good. Um, but I think the young, a lot of the young people, 
are just not, not on social media. But I think, mm. to be quite honest, the kind of kids I know are probably not the most socially deprived. Right. Yeah. And I think it really makes a difference whether they can get out to walk in the parks or meet their friends or do whatever. I mean, I think if you are, you know, stuck in a sink estate somewhere and you're on the 16th floor and, you know, all the rest of it and everybody's living in one room, I can mm. quite see that it would become very addictive because, you know, life is, I mean, I think what has happened is Britain has really divided into the haves and the have-nots now. And... I think there's some horrible statistic like 40% of our children live below the poverty line. Mm. And it's outrageous. I mean, I do some kind of work with the homeless up here in Belsize Park, and it's just horrendous. Mm. You know, they're you, kind of falling through all the cracks. Yes. And are you doing work with the kind of kids who, you know, don't have access to tech in the way that uh, so so many people do? Have no, I'm actually working that? with some older people because I kind of oh, feel right. sorry for the older people. Because I think, and I, they don't have any access to phones or whatever because they, you know, a minute you, I, you know, one of the guys I helped, I gave him a phone and of course, you know, he lost it within yes. five minutes. And I gave him an old iPad because he was in hospital, that disappeared, you know. Yeah. So, uh, got nicked or whatever. Um, I mean, my generation is sort of the last generation to have a uh, bit, bit, bit of both worlds. I, I, th I don't know what they call us, but we had an analogue childhood and then that was then, you know, transformed into a digital adulthood. Um, and and you, you've had both as well and you've mi migrated into it. Do you, do you feel, um, do you ever feel like, you know, where everything provides the, an answer, so-called, uh, for whatever our query is, like when you search something on Google, you know, you can find anything out. Um, there, there was, uh, 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 who's the artist that said this? There's a great quote, and I've forgotten uh, his name. Uh, it will come back to me. Uh, but he said um, that he didn't want to know the answer. He liked to wonder. He liked to kind of imagine <laughs> And that, it were, and that, you know, any artists uh, and creators that were constantly looking for answers weren't doing their job properly. It, it, it's that wonderful, bonkers American artist who did a film with Iggy Pop. Oh, gosh, what's his name? I'll, I'll, I'll find it afterwards. Um, but do, do you ever get that? Do you ever get tired of always being able to Google the answer or find the thing that you're looking for on your devices? Do you ever just want to put it down and and wonder yourself and use your own imagination? I don't know. I suppose being a kind of historian mm. in terms of the kind of work that I've been doing, I've been looking and trying to decode history and stuff, I'm quite an answers results oriented person. Yeah, you like data. You like data before data became data. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm a kind of, uh, I think it's... I'm going to try and find who that person was because it's really bugging me. But, but oh, carry right. on, carry on, carry on. I'm listening. But, yeah, um, but I know what you mean. I think there's so much joy is taken out of life. You know, when you're talking to someone, of course, as we get older, our memories are really not so good. And so, in some ways, it's quite comforting to be able to look it up and say oh yeah that movie with so-and-so what was it called I really can't remember and then of course you can find it just like that 
rather than having to wonder what happened to your brain, let's put it another way, because the brain definitely goes a bit missing in your 60s. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you, you've been doing a lot of movie reviews, actually, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm watching two or three movies a week. Um, I, I'm not doing such um, intellectual reviews, because I think in lockdown, I think it's sort of pile them high and watch them quick kind of thing, you know, it's just, did I like it? What was it about? Uh, two or three takeaways from it. Um, yeah, we saw that really fantastic one last night um, about polystyrene. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Wow. I really want to see that. Oh, it, I mean, it's very moving. And I tell you what, Tim, mm. uh, that was Louise. Really? Oh, you know, wow. I mean, although, although polystyrene is my age, she would have been 63 now because she's born in 57. Yeah. I watched her at the age of 18, you know, 19 in these clubs, looking old beyond her years and belting out these amazing songs. And Ross and I both turned to each other and said, Do you know, that's exactly the kind of person Louise was. And then, of course, she burnt out. Mm. Yeah. And went yeah. a bit do and Hare Krishna and all those sorts of things that, you know, Louise toyed with all these kind of weird and wonderful things. And But it's just that really, really gifted, talented, artistic personality. Yeah. And talking about, um, it's quite funny actually, talking about addiction to social media, we found an essay that Louise wrote when she was about 15 about people being addicted to social media. We put it up on Facebook yesterday. Ross transcribed it. And this was years ago. Years ago. Wow. I was going to say, are you all right to, uh, to talk about Louise? Because I, I, I mentioned her in the introduction and, and yeah, as, yeah. Our, as our you know, connection. But uh, yeah. I'm, I'm really happy to talk about, about her. She's in the next room. I mean, she's here. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. That's extraordinary. She, she wrote that when we were back on uh, Facebook had just started, really. Probably about the time you were in at Coco. She got a star from her English teacher. And yeah. it was about, she. I mean, she thought social media was BS, she called it, bullshit. And people using, she was very, it was very new, you know, these, she had little acronyms for everything. It was hilarious. Yeah. But read it, it, it will really make you smile. Um, I will. We found it yesterday. And uh, it's extraordinary. She was like, you know, um, can't Can remember. Can you read it um, now? Do you want to, is it long? Do you want to read it on this? I can probably find it if you give me a sec. I'll find it on... Um, on my Facebook. Yeah. Actually, um, it is extraordinary if I can read it properly. Oh, uh, get the search thing. You carry on talking while I find it. Oh, it's a, I can, I can, I'll just uh, edit it back in. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. I think we're almost there. A future of BS and stupidity. Stupid in capital letters. Um, so it was probably written in about 2005. Mm -hmm. So we'll have to, she died in 2011, 21, so we can work that out. In the future, we will all be slaves to things like personal stereos, computers, and mobile phones. That's the title of the essay. Welcome to the new age, one of ultimate non-communication. People fool themselves into thinking that they are communicating by having their mobile switched on all day and checking their emails constantly. What they are actually engaging in is the ultimate form of non-communication, which will now, from now on be referred to as UNC, ultimate non-communication, I think that stands for. The phenomenon of UNC has only written in the last 10 years or so. 
It is highly dangerous as people often do not recognize UNC for what it actually is. UNC occurs when one being transmits unnecessary waffle, which from now on will be referred to as BS, via UNC unit, such as a mobile telephone or computer. This BS often takes the form of a subject which one party could not really care less about, as it does not concern them in any way. Here is an example of BS. Hi, Miranda. Just to let you know, Jack broke up with me. I'm so depressed. Oh, I am sorry. BS is, however, only BS if the information is conveyed through a UNC unit. Otherwise, it's just known as information. The demon that causes this information to become BS is the issue of a non-communicative communication, otherwise known as UNC. And the reason is simple. UNC contains no personal levels whatsoever, and therefore the BS has to be interpreted by the person on the receiving end of the BS. Often, this BS is misinterpreted as negative BS or unnecessary BS, which makes a lot of people sick of all this BS. <laughs> it would be very harmless BS, apart from one thing, UNC is highly addictive. A UNC addict is often compulsive, a regular checker of UNC units, impulsive, frequently changes plans over UNC, paranoid, says things like, why haven't they called yet? and cannot go any long period of time without UNC. In other words, their life is ruled by BS. However, when the young UNC addicts do have a spare moment away from all their usual BS, they can usually be found indulging in the following. Stereos, TV, underage drinking, PlayStations, internet, and occasionally drugs. And she's, uh, she's highlighted the capital letters of all those. Abbreviation equals stupid. Stupidity also carries the, high, the same high-risk addictiveness. In conclusion, our lives are already controlled by BS and stupidity. Wow. That's age 15 or 16. That's, I mean, that's just extraordinary. And, and, and that we didn't know, I didn't know you were going to present that today. No, so. I found it yesterday. I mean, I, knew, I found it in 2011, but, you know... So that was in 2011, which no, that was, was in 2005. 2005. Oh my God! Because no, because she passed in 2011. So I, yeah, it was literally just after I came back from Thailand. Yeah, just she after met her. Yeah, when that lovely video of her bouncing around on your stage at Coco. Yeah, she really was so bright, wasn't she? Uh, what 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 an amazing thing to share. Thanks. For sharing that, because it—I I mean, but you—you live—you live with her in your life, don't you? Well, I read that and I thought, wow. You know, it's one of those things. And I wrote a blog about it a couple of weeks ago. You know, it really is hard to imagine what she would be doing now. That was one of the things I was wanted to ask you. Yeah. What you thought in the midst of the last year, the lockdown, and having to depend on technology and use it more than ever. What what do you think she would have done? I don't think she'd be really big on technology, actually, because I think she was so creative. She'd be making her own stuff. Mm. And the thing... Tangible uh, stuff. Sorry? Tangible stuff. Yeah, yeah, stuff. She'd be making stuff. Yeah. She'd be writing, creating, drawing. I mean, you know, Polystyrene made all her own clothes she out had, of 
bits of rubbish and and you know that's the sort of thing Louise would be doing and so when even if she wasn't really meant to be going out I suspect she'd be doing just that she'd create outfits and she'd probably go out on the town and strut her stuff and you know meet friends in the park or just be a bit crazy but amazingly I do think actually I think she'd probably have had a baby by now like a lot of her friends have done because she was really she you know loved cats and children and she was very maternal actually yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. I, I can imagine she would have made been one of the people making the uh, emergency PPE. You know, uh, so many different designers, and uh, and I think yeah. I think art schools and all kinds of uh, people were making the PPE when it was clear there wasn't enough. She would definitely have been doing that, wouldn't she? She would be doing all. She would. She was just so community minded, and we didn't realize this until after she died and you know there's a, a card plopped on the door doormat of her home a few days after she died from a little old lady down the road who she'd been doing shopping for and stuff you know who was ill with cancer or something mm. and we had no idea yeah that was the sort of person who would be doing she'd be probably working with the homeless or something you know as well as doing i can't really ever see her ha having a job she was a connector wasn't she yeah. she knew she knew uh or she had no fear of connection um certainly that's what i felt when i when i met her and and the, the amount of uh activities that she just got involved in creatively with, with, there was no question it was the, it was and it's a lot of what this this series has been uh, why I've been doing it. It's about the three things, creativity, community, and connection, you know, and all those, that magical triangle. And, uh, and she seemed to be, that was it's innate. In the middle of it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> she was in the middle of that triangle doing one or the other at any given time, wasn't she? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's wonderful. Are you going to, you've, you've, posted it on facebook but uh yeah, i don't know I, I don't know what else to do with it really it's just um yeah we'll have a think i think it's a, a lovely thing to share of um posthumous work it's on her it's on her website actually you know we did this louisecatel.com website mm. Mm. so ross has put it on there in fact he's just as because we got in touch with you about we we lost a lot of the links to all the original stuff the films and stuff so he, I noticed that when I was, you know, because I'm the editor. So Ross just does it and then he doesn't check anything. Mm. So I, I checked all I said, yeah, none of these links work anymore. So he had to spend all two days doing that. I'll share <laughs> that. I'll share all of that for sure. But that that is on there. That, so it's up on the website. Yeah, it's, rem it's remarkable. I mean, this whole, um, I'll send you some stuff about it confidentially. But yeah, this um, next project that I'm doing is, you know, it is it is the next record next album but it's it's a few other things as well and um and th that there's a th yeah there's some characters in it and it just what when you read louise's um piece it just seems like that comes it comes straight out of the story that i wrote a few years ago oh, funny not funny mm. but in this conversation that we're just having came out of seeing that movie um life i'm a cliche or whatever it's called uh, about polystyrene, and I just we were so. I can't wait to watch it now. Yeah, yeah, you've got to watch it. It's not very long, um, but her daughter, you know, who made it, 
It is remarkable. Um, she does the voiceover, or she does the narration, and she does it uh, in as if she's speaking poetry. It's really very moving. Mm. It's not poetry, but I mean her words, the way she speaks, it's so. Um... I also wanted to ask you about. Um, you know, you've lived a fascinating life as well. And did you live in South Africa at one point as well? East, East, East Africa. East yeah. Africa. And uh, what were you doing there? Was that with the publishing company? No, no. My um, This is sort of told in uh, my book, The Boy from Boscovitz. After the war in 1947, my dad, married to my mum, went out to grow groundnuts uh, under a big scheme sponsored by the British government to feed the you know poor starving Brits mm. in Tanganyika, as it was then, the Tanganyika Territory. Uh, this was probably... As big a fiasco, well, not quite, almost as big a fiasco as Brexit in, in the same way as the British government keeps on doing something they know is absolutely wickedly wrong and a superhuman waste of money. But the Labour government under Clem Attlee, you know, went on with this project. And my dad went out to drive tractors and clear, you know, loads of bush. And I mean, it was no one realised that the only reason why it was empty and all the local cattle herders and people didn't plant anything there was it was completely uncultivable. Mm. Anyway, so they spent a long time there. And I was actually, then he went into the um, colonial service. I shouldn't say that these days, but, you know, that's history. Um, and, um, you know, became a colonial administrator and a judge. And uh, that's when I was, I was born there. So I was born in Africa. Ah, I see. And grew up there. So, you know, my first language was Swahili, believe it or not. And you, yeah, you speak. Your, I knew that you were fluent in Swahili. Not anymore. But, you know. <laughs> and I've always known you, you know, as somebody who uh, is connected in 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 many different worlds. But uh, you know, a lot of creative people, um, and also those parts of society which are I, like you were talking about the British government and and corporations and certainly we've been we, we did an event at the House of Commons so I've always seen that uh, you, you between these two worlds so one that I'm very much part of and the other one which I've, I've stepped into a few times as an agitator <laughs> and always I, good <laughs> I wondered I wondered what you felt in terms of uh, this new world we're living in of big tech and data and privacy and all of that and it, it just in terms of the the organizations and the companies that are in charge of it do you feel uh, and government as well do you feel it's um it's out of control do you think it's necessary is it inevitable is it just another version of what you saw happening with, uh, you know uh, in your younger days when it it would have been handled in an analog fashion, is it? And so, therefore, nothing really to get too worried about. Or do you think it's accelerating in a way that humanity is struggling to keep up with? Which I, you know, that's just me quoting some of my futurist friends uh, who think that. What do you think? I think that it's inevitable. Um, world doesn't go backwards. I do feel angry that these big data companies don't pay more taxes. I mean, to me, that is absolutely iniquitous. And, um, you know, well, that's, you know, it is absolutely iniquitous. Um, 
I think that I mean, I laugh, I really laugh my head off when I read some of these stupid things you read on social media saying, oh, do click this and do that. And because, you know, all your, your data is not private. And I think if you're on social media, it, mm. you've lost all your privacy. So mm. if you don't want to be on, if you don't want people to know everything about you, don't have a mobile phone, don't have social media, do nothing. Because once you're logged into something, and I know about this because Ross was working on it ages ago, um, you know, your phone is trackable wherever you are. You see that in crime dramas, you know, they pin people to different places because just on data on their phone, which hasn't been given, it's just that people know where you are. Everything is known about all of us. Um, do, you think it's, do you think it's fair if there are people that don't uh, want to live off grid, I think is the, the term, um, that... Do you think it's fair that they that they they can't really do that? Which we're sort of getting to that stage now, where you you're going to have to have some digital. Uh, yeah. In, in life, there, life are, is- there are many communities who are just like we we we're not taking anything from society, or we grow our own produce, and we you know there are lots of communities all over the world like that. Do you think it's fair, or do you think with this you know we've got to work a little bit harder to make them inclusive? even though they don't want to be part of the new mesh of well, digital. Well, I think, you know, the, the problem is life isn't fair and you just have to accept that. Mm. But interestingly, when I worked, um, the last job I had, I worked for the Aga Khan Fund for Economic Development. We saw the fantastic contribution that mobile networks can make to societies who have been living on the brink. So mm. I'll give you some examples. We, we had um, mobile networks in Kenya and we had them in Afghanistan and, you know, all sorts of really, you know, uh, and Uganda and all sorts of places. So, so they can do good. Yeah. So, so um, in Afghanistan, where obviously it's very, very mountainous, we invented the system where you could transfer money by a mobile telephone. It was actually, in, you know, this was invented in developing countries, not by the West, mm. all this you know, instant money transfer. Um, transfer wise and things like that yeah but i mean really very simple so very basic village people where there are no banks or nothing the guy the son working in the city can send money to mum and dad mm. on the phone and that money can be used on the phone to buy things in wow. the village. you know this has been you know 15 yeah. 20 years uh so for instance the example that we often used to get told about was so you're a fisherman in lake victoria and you just caught this fantastic you know lots and lots of fabulous fish mm. so you want to know which port shall i go to to sell them where's the best price look on your mobile phone you can find out all that stuff so mm. you know, it's, it's things things are not always a force for bad they can be a force for good but like everything mm. it has to be used in a good way and there's no doubt that you know a lot of stalking and all sorts of other dreadful things are done also media trolling and you know all that kind of stuff um mm. using using the internet but i think it is wonderful what you can also do with it and actually how you know it, it can enhance people's lives yeah that's the thing that i think we we all want to hear more about i think with, with especially after a year of constant life on tech i know i feel like that. i want to hear some exciting uh productive and creative ways that uh... well and listen in uh, i'm involved in some charities that teach children uh in the remotest regions of the world and you know that you there is no electricity in 
most of these places. You can get a yes. bit of solar to, to charge yeah. telephones and things. But you can use distance learning through um, a screen, a smart mm. screen. You, you know, computers are just out of it now in the developing world. So yeah. much to be done just goes straight from, you know, straight into, um, I can't remember what you call these. This is my similarity coming in. You know, sort of handheld devices, devices. Um, and it's a fantastic tool for education and all sorts of really good information can be can be transmitted through this. You know, especially, especially in lockdowns and in pandemics where kids aren't allowed to go to school. Yes. Oh, gosh. It's, it's been a uh, what would what would have they have done without it? Um, so, yeah. yeah nobody else has spoken about this side of what. You know what I've been probing people about. So, uh, it's really great. Well, I'm not so politically correct in that sense. Though you know, in, you know, I just like to see it say it as I see it. And I think um, that well, I was hoping you were. Always... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, I know that about you. <laughs> but you know, uh, of course, I think it's terrible how much time, and I think it's actually a Western disease to spend mm. so much time. I mean, you know, we've got so much time because we have leisure and that is a kind of first world problem. In the developing world, leisure is not a commodity that exists. You know, most people are having to work in the fields and, you know, earn a living and, or you know, a, a hustle basically or spend hours getting to and from work, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, and that's, that's often, a really great, great example of what, where tech can... Uh, can yeah, you tech know, can really... You just they use tech when they need it, and of course it's terribly expensive. I mean, I tell you, I'll give you another very um, prescient example. And I heard a radio play about it actually uh, yesterday, but although it referred to Myanmar before, but how do you think in countries like uh, Burma, Myanmar, mm. people know where to go, how to um, uh, protest? Uh, you know, where the police are going to come from, where the army is going to all through. Mm. These things are absolutely critical mm. for, um, you know, people who are trying to protest. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot of good as well, I would say. I think, well, that's a wonderful way to end this episode of, of Super Connected Conversations because um, I, 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 this has really balanced out the, the unofficial debate I've been... Um, oh, really? Inviting, I'm just, I'm just, I'm really just having yeah. chats, you know, with everyone. But uh, yeah. but this, but your view is very, uh, very different and 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 um, and really positive as well, which is great. Thank you. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Well, Tim, always nice to see you. We'll you be too. we'll see you in real life somewhere in Soho I, soon. I hope. Oh, God, you can count on it. Yeah, definitely. All right, Vicky, thanks so much. Love. Yeah. Speak to you. Well. Love. See you soon. You too. Bye.